Matthew 16, beginning in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you're a hindrance to me. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Would you just pray with me one more time? Heavenly Father, we just pause for a moment after reading words like these because many of us recognize that these are not just words that we could find anywhere and try to wrestle some meaning out of. These are words that you've spoken that have actual life already in them and can do things in us that other words can't do. So I pray that you'd help us. I pray that you'd help us pay attention. I pray you'd help me speak clearly. And I pray that you would accomplish your purposes through your word as we look at it together right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this week when we were in our staff meeting, um, the, the Lord or the FedEx man, whoever he was, dropped this off uh, in our meeting. And um, I just think it kind of says it all, doesn't it? Everything Christian for less. <laughs> Isn't that just perfect? <laughs> the Lord is kind. Sometimes he delivers sermon illustrations literally to your front door. <laughs> Everything Christian for less. Can we be so honest to just admit, yes, please? <laughs> I'm not judging them for their motto, and I'm all for inexpensive Christian resources. But isn't that a decent way to describe what we really want out of the Christian life? More of the blessings, less of the problems. More of the joy, less of the sorrow. More of the victory, less of the struggle. More of the love, less of the people. <laughs> Everything Christian for less. This is a very natural response and very natural desire 
Uh, and this isn't just us being good Americans, good entitled Americans. Peter felt the same way, right? We just read that. Uh, when Jesus told his disciples that being the Christ meant he was going to suffer and die, Peter pulled Jesus aside and says, uh, we will have none of that, sir. Less of the suffering and dying in this Christian thing. This wasn't the road that Peter and the rest of the disciples had in mind when they set out to follow Jesus. Their imaginations were filled more with thrones and crowns than thorns and crosses. But Jesus settled that misunderstanding with startling clarity when he says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're out of line and you're in my way. You're thinking like a man, not like God. And while Jesus is resetting expectations for the group, the next thing he clears up is what it's going to mean to be a follower of the crucified Messiah. And it doesn't sound much like everything Christian for less. I can't think of anything more important for us to pay attention to this morning than these words of Jesus. These words are the exact opposite of the words that we hear everywhere. Do you know that? The world is calling us to something. And it's quite different from what Jesus is calling us to. The world has a call out on your life and you may not even be aware of how deeply you're affected by it. We need these words from Jesus. So we're going to look at verses 24 through 28 in three parts. We've already, the, the first half of the passage that I read, we've, we've already looked at a couple of weeks ago, but we're going to look at uh, this verses 24 through 28 in three parts, and just to help us pay attention, the, the parts I'm calling the call, there's the promise, and then there's the reason. And we'll start with the call right away in verse 24. So look back. Would you keep your Bibles open if you've closed them? Keep it open uh, while we go through this together because you should only trust a preacher if he's telling you things that God already said. Verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I don't think that's what Peter wanted to hear. I would venture to say that's probably not what you wanted to hear either. Is it fair to say that we have a very low tolerance for talk like this in our culture today? Is that fair? I was talking with a couple of teenagers this week who will remain nameless, and we got to a top, the topic of text messages with their parents, their text relationship with their parents, between parent and teenager. And one of the young ladies got around to telling me that she always thinks her dad is mad at her when he uses periods. <laughs> and not enough emojis. This is a true story. We are living this reality. <laughs> Trying not to betray my own affection for punctuation, I gently asked this young lady, what's so wrong with 
periods. To which she replied, they're so forceful. (laughs) Yeah, the other girl agreed. (laughs) Do any of you young people relate with this? Is this a thing? This is a thing. Look, if you're afraid of periods, I'm not saying you're soft. Yes, I am. (laughs) Yes, I am. (laughs) I absolutely am. It's like a little dot. It's just a little dot. Not all of us can just throw emojis around like they're nothing. You need to understand us. And that doesn't mean we're monsters. Just think that should be said. I guess what I'm trying to say is that sometimes we need to do a little bit of work to translate one another accurately. When I text my children using proper punctuation, I want them to know that I still love them and want good things for their lives. Despite the obvious forcefulness of my punctuation choices. When we hear Jesus say something hard like this, we need to make sure that we are hearing his heart. Despite the things that are very out of style for us to talk about, things like denying ourselves. The call of Jesus is countercultural in every culture that it's ever penetrated. But I think it's particularly useful for us to understand why it's difficult for us to hear. The call of Jesus is deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Is it true to say that the call of our culture is something like this? Be true to yourself, take up your rights, and follow your heart. Am I at least in the ballpark? Is there a faster way to get canceled than to stand up and tell someone your heart might actually be lying to you? Your desires might actually end up destroying you. We live in a culture that's decided that the way out of our emptiness is to unquestioningly affirm and indulge the preeminent self. The great pursuit is to find yourself, and when you do, to be true to yourself. And anyone who says otherwise is an obstacle between you and the life that you are supposed to enjoy. Well, if that's true, then let me introduce you to your chief obstacle. His name is Jesus. Jesus never once says, find yourself. He never once says, be true to yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself. Let's be honest. Even if you can sit back and criticize the call of our culture, these are still hard words to hear and hard words to live out. Some of you might be getting mad at me already. This is starting to sound like everything you've ever had to fight against and heal from. 
But I'm going to just hide behind Jesus a little bit here because these are his words, not mine. And I'm also going to kind of take my, take my place alongside you because I get a little offended when I hear this myself. Because Jesus is telling us that there's something so wrong with us that in order to get right, we need to make war with our very selves. We wear crosses around our necks. We put crosses up on beautiful buildings. But let's not forget, to the people Jesus was talking to, crosses were nothing but shocking, shameful, bloody instruments of execution. Jesus is not messing around. There's no way of getting around the fact that these are offensive, hard words coming out of Jesus' mouth. But let's at least make sure that we're being offended for the right reasons. To do that, let's, let's talk for just a second about what Jesus doesn't mean when he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Jesus doesn't mean that you're a worthless person. He's not saying you don't matter. He's not saying you're not valuable. He's not saying you're not important. Nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus spoke clearly of the value of human beings. He talked about things like about how the Heavenly Father delights in His children. He talked about the attentive fatherly care of God who knows the number of hairs on our heads, who knows the things we need before we ask, who values us much more than the birds He feeds and the lilies He clothes. But Jesus didn't just speak about the value of human beings. He also treated people like they had value. He drew near to people, befriended people. He showed compassion to people in their pain and their suffering and their sorrow. He dealt gently and patiently with people and showed dignity to people, even the people that the rest of the world deemed not valuable. And then, of course, most astoundingly, Jesus proved the unmistakable value of people by leaving the glories of heaven, putting on a body, and dying in order to save people. When Jesus calls us to deny ourselves and take up our crosses, he's not saying we are worthless people. You are unfathomably valuable to Jesus. Your life matters to him so much that he died for you. As people who were made in God's image and who in God's estimation worth the price of Jesus' blood, there is much that we should affirm about ourselves and about each other. And Jesus does the same. But of course, that's not the whole story on us, is it? There's another part of what it means to be us that we need to be honest about. We are not only who we are on account of creation made in the image of God. We are not only who we are on account of redemption deemed worthy of Christ's blood. We're also who we are on account of the reason we need to be redeemed in the first place. On account of the fall. 
or our sinful rebellion against our Creator and the separation that has resulted. So, if we can avoid taking the wrong offense, believing Jesus is saying we're not valuable people, that we don't matter, then let's be soundly offended by what Jesus actually is saying, which is this, that sin has so corrupted us that nothing short of the blood of the Holy Son of God could save us. That our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately sick and in need of a physician. That left to ourselves, we only fall short of the glory of God. So much for be true to yourself and follow your heart. If we have a cheap, sub-biblical understanding of sin, it's going to be very hard for us to make sense of the forcefulness of Jesus' call without thinking he's being mean or overreacting. Not to mention Matthew didn't have emojis at his disposal. But if we have a cheap understanding of sin, we're going to have a hard time making sense of almost anything that Jesus said and did. So when Jesus showed up to begin his earthly ministry, the first words we hear him say are, Repent and believe, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Turn from the way you're going and go my way. So when we get to these words in Matthew 16, the call is the same. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me is a call to a lifestyle of repentance. A lifestyle of saying no to yourself, to your selfish ambition, to your selfish desires, dying to your sense of autonomy over your own life, living instead according to the will of God. Repentance is how you become a Christian, and it's how you live as a Christian. It's the first step in following Jesus, and it's every step thereafter. It's interesting to me that the word that Jesus uses here, deny yourself, is the same word that's only used a few other times in the New Testament, and it's used mainly to talk about when Peter denied Jesus. A little bit later in Matthew, we'll find that. Three times, when, G when Peter's asked if he was one of Jesus' disciples, Peter denied Jesus. He knew that his affiliation with Jesus could get him in trouble. And so his response when they said, weren't you with him, is his response was, I, do, I don't know the man. In the interests of self, Peter denied Jesus. The complete opposite of the call of discipleship, mind you. Where in the interests of Jesus, we're called to deny ourselves. I do not know the man, he said. Now these actually should be the words of a disciple. But we shouldn't be talking about Jesus we don't know. These should be the words of a disciple who's talking about the person he or she used to be before Jesus. When temptation comes your way, aren't you the man that used to, 
I don't know that man anymore. Aren't you the woman who always, I don't know that woman anymore. That woman's dead. These should be the words of a disciple. This is what it means to deny ourselves. The Apostle Paul liked to talk about our death with Christ a lot. He did so many times in many places in the letters we have in our New Testament. If you like homework, go home and read Galatians 2 and Galatians 5, 2 Corinthians 5, Romans 6, Romans 8, just to name a few. But let's just look at one passage where Paul certainly has this call of Jesus in view. I'm certain of it. This is how Paul unpacks the call of discipleship in Colossians 3. I think the words will show up above my head. Colossians 3. Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now notice what he's saying. If you're united with Christ by faith, you've, you have died. You already have died. Past tense, done. But then look what he goes on to say, verse 5. You have died with Christ, so verse 5, so put to death, therefore... What's earthly in you? Things like this. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of things like these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Things like anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices, and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul says, you have died with Christ, so put to death these earthly ways of living. Remember, repentance is the beginning of the Christian life, and it's every step along the way. You used to live like that before you were dead. Put off that old self. Deny that's not you anymore. There is only one way to follow Jesus, and this is it. The Christian life isn't a choose-your-own-adventure story. This isn't just a call to the super-Christians or those who are spiritually elite. This is Jesus' call to anyone who would follow him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously wrote the words, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. Let me quote Bonhoeffer at length. I think the words show up. Here it is. The cross, he says, is laid on every Christian. The first Christ's suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, 
We surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him. Or it may be a death like Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world. But it is the same death every time. Death in Jesus Christ. The death of the old man at his call. So what does it mean for you personally, this call? Have you died with Christ? Have you climbed up on that cross with Jesus, fully embracing his assessment of your situation? Bearing the offense of the cross, so to speak. Owning what it says of you. That you've been so corrupted by sin that nothing short of the blood of Jesus, the Son of God, could save you. Have you died with Christ, not to be true to yourself, but to call the whole thing off. Not to follow your heart, but to get a new one. If so, what things did you once walk in that Jesus is now calling you to put to death? That list in Colossians 3 is at least a good place to start. But perhaps even as we talk about these things, the Holy Spirit's bringing things to your own mind, saying, that's not you anymore. That's not you anymore. That man is gone. That woman's gone. Quit acting like you're still a slave to that. You're not. I set you free from that. I pray that we are humble enough to respond to the Holy Spirit if he brings conviction like this. It's not safe not to. That's probably enough on the call, but let's not miss the promise that Jesus attaches to the call. Look at verse 25. The promise is this. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is Jesus saying, I know what I just said is hard to take in, but trust me. Two certainties here. One, whoever would save his life will lose it. In other words, whoever wants to keep living as if the self is supreme, whoever wants to stay the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, following the spirit that's now at work and all who continue to disobey God, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, that person will finally meet the wrath of God what could be called the second death. Deny Jesus, follow yourself, the end is death. That's the first certainty. But the second certainty is, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, will find it. Not might find it, not sometimes finds it, will find it. Deny yourself and follow Jesus, the end is life. Life that starts now 
and is characterized by things like freedom from the bondage of sin. Freedom from having to always obey your desires. Things like growing peace. Things like joy. Things that come as we abide in Jesus, like branches connected to a vine. Life that begins now and doesn't end. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly, Jesus said. He's not just talking about when you die. So don't let the difficulty of the call keep you from hearing the certainty and the joy of the promise. Satan wants people to believe that following Jesus means misery now for who knows what later. Listen to Jesus instead. If you will turn from going your own way, turn from trusting in your passions and desires to make you happy, turn from trusting in riches and wealth and people to satisfy you, and secure you, turn instead to Jesus, walk in his ways, you will then find what your heart is actually looking for in all those other places. You will find life. Jesus is either a maniac or the Messiah. Nobody talks like this. And he not only talked like this, but then he backs it up, right? Backed it up a few months later by folding up his grave clothes and walking out of his own tomb. You should listen to a man like that. He says, I told you you could trust me. Now come on. He didn't just make a promise and then leave us holding our breath, hoping he's not lying. He showed us what it's like. And then said, let's go. There's more where that came from. Jesus denied himself for the joy set before him, took up his own cross, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God, alive as alive can be, and invites us to come and get started with him. Come and start living in that life. Has anyone ever issued you a greater invitation than that? And was it ever somebody with as much credibility as Jesus Christ, who we're still talking about 2,000 years later? Remember Colossians 3 that we looked at a minute ago. Paul said, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What does that even mean? Brothers and sisters, let me tell you this. We barely even understand how incredible this promise is. Our life is right now hidden with Christ. And when he comes back and appears, we're going to also appear with him in glory. What in the world? Like, just let your imagination run wild. And it's better than that. Are you starting to see emojis now? 
Are we understanding Jesus' heart behind his forceful words? He's inviting us to life. It just happens to come through death. He is, in fact, inviting us to find ourselves. It just happens to come through denying ourselves. Jesus has more joy in mind for you than you do for you. And he alone knows how to get you there. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Do we still trust ourselves to make ourselves happy? Let's be honest. We're really good at messing it up. All the things we put our hope in let us down eventually. Why wouldn't we answer that call with a promise like that? What could possibly be worth clinging to that would keep us from that? That's where Jesus goes next. Let's look at our last section here, which I'm just calling the reason, starting in verse 26. He goes on and says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus invites us here into, this, into a moment of reflective reasoning. He asks us some questions to consider. He's issued his call, he's gave, given his promise, and now he's inviting us to consider if it's worth it. He gives us a minute to reflect on what we're really living for and where's that taking us? How's that going to end? Take this moment that Jesus offers you. That's nice of him. The world doesn't give us many moments to reflect on the most important things. That's strategic as well. But Jesus does. He asks you some questions that it's worth considering. He says there's a whole lot to be gained out there. There's a whole lot of world to gain. We've been hearing this in America our whole lives, right? Be whatever you can be, do whatever you want to do, dream big, reach for the stars, grab all you can. This is the land of opportunity. And Jesus says, hold that thought. He says, you can do that. You can go the route of self-interest, self-preservation, self-glorification. You're free to leave Jesus in the Bible and go about living your own way gaining all you can get your hands on. But in line with a parable Jesus once told, on the night that your soul is required of you, whose will it all be? And what good will it be to you? What will you say to the Jesus that you've ignored? You're also free to claim Jesus with your lips, but then go ahead and deny him by the way you live your life. That's an option too. I don't think he'll be fooled, though, even if everyone else was. But will it be worth it? Will it be worth it, Jesus is asking us to consider? Is that a trade you're willing to make? All that the world has to offer in exchange for your soul. He's either lying or he's telling the truth. Is there anything you could possibly gain in this world that would be worth forfeiting your soul for? 
Is there anything you could possibly gain in this world that you will one day be able to offer to your maker in exchange for your soul? Jesus doesn't answer the questions for us because they answer themselves. There is nothing to be gained in this whole wide world that is worth the loss of your soul. Take this seriously. And let's not miss the correlation here between worldly gain and soul decay. That goes for all of us. Jesus told a parable of the sower and he said that the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches have the ability to choke out our faith. People with bank accounts and credit cards need to pay attention to that daily. The world's not going to invite you to slow down and take time to reason with a sober mind about the things that matter absolute most, but Jesus is. Are you willing to bank on Jesus being a myth or a maniac in order to keep running your own way? Is not the proof even in the pudding? Have you yet found what you're looking for outside of Christ? I know nobody who has. I know no satisfied person who's not in Christ. I just don't, and I love a lot of them. Are you willing to bank on Jesus being a myth or a maniac, or are you hearing these words as words that penetrate your heart because they're not my words, they're not some normal man's words, but because they're the words who, that belong to the judge of all the earth? Verse 27, Jesus says, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Jesus often will like pull back the curtain a little bit and be like, there's, there's so much I want to tell you. I'm just going to tell you a little bit. You're not going to understand it, but pay attention to what I say and take it seriously. Jesus came the first time in meekness and poverty. That's why it made him such and unexpected Messiah. But he says the second time, it's going to be different. I'm going to come with the angels, and I'm going to come in the glory of the Father. And then the books will be open. The book of your life will be open before me. No one will mistake Jesus for a fraud on that day. No one will mistake Jesus for a myth or a maniac on that day. Everyone must stand before the judgment seat of Christ, Paul says. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Those who have already died, who have been united with Christ in death, I mean, on the cross, who've lived out that death, by faith, day by day, those people will be united with Christ in his resurrection as well. Not just united with him in his death, united with him in his life. But those who have refused an early death, who have denied Christ in favor of themselves, 
straining for all the gain that the world has to offer, those people will find themselves having already lost in the most terrifying version of the word. Consider these things. Here's two really important words for us today. If anyone. Jesus said, if anyone would follow me. If anyone would come after me. Or the word, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Those are really good words. That means this is still an open invitation because Jesus hasn't come back yet with his angels. It means we're all still invited to begin following him or to continue following him. And you can count on this. Whatever that means for you personally, whatever denying yourself looks like, whatever deaths you're personally called to die, it will be worth it. Or Jesus should have been ignored a long time ago. Let me close with this. There will be similarities for all of us in what it means to deny ourselves and take up our cross. But there will also be differences. There will be a lot similar for followers of Jesus about denying yourself and taking up your cross to follow him. But there will be distinct differences from person to person, and it's worth us knowing that and thinking about that for just a minute. There might be someone in this room who Jesus will call to lay down your actual life for his sake, as an actual martyr, as we would say. He may lead you somewhere where your devotion to Jesus will cost you your physical life. It's probably unlikely that that's many of us, but may we all be prepared for that and willing. There will be some here in this room who Jesus calls to die to certain pursuits that mean a lot to you. Maybe a job or a career that would keep you from walking in obedience to what you know the Lord has called you to. And you've got to die to it. Maybe the pursuit of a particular relationship. Someone that you love, but you know you can't be devoted to that person at the same time as you follow Christ for one reason or another. And you have to die to that relationship. Maybe the pursuit of a particular standard of living, whether it's the neighborhood you want to live in or the kind of house you want to live in or the kind of cars you want to drive things that would be incompatible with Jesus' call on your individual life. You might have to die to some of those things. There's going to be differences. All of us in this room are called to die to sin and all manner of desires of the flesh that aren't in line with God's righteousness. But for some in this room, those desires might feel so close to the core of who you are that it will really feel like actual death to put them away. Feel like a denial of your very self and a denial of any 
future happiness you may ever have. It might feel like that. Every single person who follows Jesus is called to self-denial and taking up the cross, but the details will look different. And here's something that we are really good at doing and I want to recommend we not do. We are really good at looking around at each other's lives and believing that they have it better than me. We're really good at looking around at each other's lives and feeling like, why is my road so much harder than theirs? Why is my cross so much heavier than theirs? Why is her grass always so much greener? My load is always so much heavier. My death is always so much more painful. This is what we tend to do, and it's never useful. First of all, it's impossible for us to fully understand anybody else's life. All that it means to be them. Too many details, too many unseen complexities we just don't understand as well as we think we do. But second of all, it's just simply none of our business. It's just simply none of our business. It's not ours to choose or to evaluate how our Lord chooses to lead his people. Let's leave that to him. He's wise and he's good and he calls us to leave all that stuff to him. We don't have to worry about it. Once again, Peter was just like us. There's this great moment recorded at the end of the book of John after Jesus had been raised from the dead where he and Peter have this important conversation on the beach. Jesus starts by comforting and restoring Peter because he's just denied Jesus three times. So he encourages him. And then Jesus puts a new call on Peter's life in that moment on the beach. He puts a new call in his life to lead and to feed Jesus' flock. And Jesus reminds Peter that there's going to be pain involved. Look at these words with me. I think they'll show up above my head. John 21. Jesus says this to Peter. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. John tells us this is, Jesus said, to show by what kind of death Peter was going to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. So Jesus decides to give Peter a little sneak peek and says, following me will look a lot like denying yourself and take up your cross, like I said. And understandably, it shook Peter a little bit, like it might to us, even hearing these words today. And then look what Peter does next. We know this guy. Peter turned, after Jesus said that to him, after he told him how he was going to die, Peter turned and he sees John, the disciple Jesus loved, following them. And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Don't you know that guy? What about this man? It's going to be so hard for me, is it going to be this hard for him? And Jesus looks at Peter and says, if it's my will, that John remains until I come back? What is that to you, Peter? You follow me. Just like shrinks his vision back. We need to hear this, you guys. Because I don't know what your denying and taking up a cross is supposed to look like. Only you're really going to know that. 
And you need to hear the words that Jesus spoke to Peter and say, don't worry about what everyone else's load looks like, what everyone else's road looks like. Trust me, eyes on me, you follow me. You'll be okay. This is a much needed word for us. Jesus knows how to lead his sheep. Jesus knows how to care for you better than you know how to care for yourself. All his ways are steadfast love and faithfulness. None of us will look back on our lives and say, Jesus blew it. I promise. None of us will look back on our lives and say, he asked too much of me. He was too cruel or too unkind. He was unwise with me. That day never comes, you guys. Far from it. On the day that Jesus returns with his angels, in the glory of his Father, those of us who have denied ourselves, taken up our crosses and followed him, will appear with him in glory. And Peter says, Later on in his letter, 1 Peter, he says, that's going to result in things like praise and glory and honor and unspeakable joy. Those who have lost their lives for Jesus' sake will find it. And until then, our marching orders are the same as Peter's. You follow me. Jesus' call is a far cry from the call of our culture. It's not everything Christian for less. It's way, way better. We're going to close our time by taking the Lord's Supper like we do every week. If you're uh, serving, will you please come up front and take your spots? We take the Lord's Supper every week uh, for the reasons that we've just talked about. Jesus gave his life on the cross to redeem us from sin and death, and he invites us to be united with him, not only in his death, but also in his life. This is a tangible way each week that we get to walk out the call that Jesus puts on our lives to deny ourselves, take up our crosses, follow him. There's nothing particularly hard or self-denying about coming up and putting a few things in your mouth, but that's not what we're really doing. We're embracing what Jesus has done and what he's said about us. We're participating in the death to self and the life in Christ that he's invited us to. So as you come, consider these things and take them seriously. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, I just invite you, you can stay in your seats in a minute. Everyone else is going to get up and come and take the bread and the cup. But if you're just honest and you're like, I'm just not a follower of Jesus right now, that's okay. We're really glad you're here. I don't think it's an accident you're here. But you don't need to get up and take the Lord's Supper because that's not really, you're not really walking by faith in Christ. And we're not here to judge you. We're not better than you. We've just decided, we've come to the realization that Jesus is our only hope. Hope that you do as well. But you can stay in your seat while everyone else gets up and no one's going to be judging you or thinking anything about you. But I just say, if you're not following Jesus, you don't need to come up and take this. But maybe just stay in your seat and reflect. Reflect on who Jesus is. Reflect on maybe things you've thought or heard uh, over the last few minutes. Um, but for those of us who are following Jesus, take your time. But when you're ready, come and take the bread and the cup, remembering and participating in the death that is ours in Christ and the life that is ours in Christ. You may come.